Hello, and welcome to the EIC Scaling Club podcast, where we share interesting insights from leading European deep tech entrepreneurs, investors, and industry experts. You've come to the right place. Now sit back and enjoy the podcast. Hello, this is Robin Walters, founder of Tech.eu and editor of the EIC Scaling Club. I find myself here in Munich for the DLD conference, sitting down with a very interesting chap called Azim Azar, Mr. Exponential View, uh, previously journalist, author, uh, entrepreneur, consultant, uh, and now builds himself as an independent academic. Yeah. But uh, maybe you can do a better job of uh, uh, well, introducing yourself. Robin, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Uh, uh, and it's great to see you because you were really there actually when I founded my previous startup back in uh, 2009-2010, I think at an event in Paris. So we we trip around the great cities uh, of Europe, which makes this conversation really relevant for the, the scaling club uh, from, from the EIC. And, and you know, after a, a long, longish career, this year is my 30th year working. Um, yeah, I feel, find myself in a nice position where I spend a lot of my time researching that breakthrough technologies, um, how what what it is about them, how we make them real, how we get them into the economy, what the impact on society would would be, and yeah, we do this um, and show off some of our thinking through our newsletter, through some of the advisory work that we do with generally bigger companies, uh, and also from the occasional book. Yeah, you have a new book uh, coming out, actually, in 25, I just learned. Yes, exactly. But we can't say too much about it because it's just very secret right now. Yeah. But it will cover some of these topics. Great. Well, uh, most people, I think, uh, at this point know you from Exponential View, yeah. uh, which for a lot of people is a newsletter, but it's actually much more than that. It's a community. It's a platform. Yeah. Um, but what is it to you? How, how, how do you describe it? Well, you know, Exponential View is uh, came about about eight years ago, nine years ago, um, because I noticed that there were a lot of interesting things happening with very different deep technologies uh, that not just in computing, but in life sciences with uh, genomics and protein engineering within energy through uh, solar electricity, battery technologies, uh, and a range of other technologies were on a, um, an, a, a rate of exponential improvement. That is every year, their price performance was improving by 10, 15, 20, 30, 40%. Um, and it was really, really remarkable. Um, and so there was this intersection of these different exponential technologies. And I, I was thinking, this will have a big um, effect. That's as far as I thought, by the, fact, by the way, when I started um, writing it. And of course, as you do the work and you do the research, you start to learn much, much more about those those underpinnings. And so now today we have a newsletter which through its different distribution channels um, reaches about 300,000 people. Um, and we do, we have a, a community for some of our paying members who range from um, people with really deep expertise in academia and education. We've got a guy who was a dean of, an, uh, of a university for many, many years. And we've got people working in uh, genomics. We've got people working in climate technologies and people working, of course, in AI. Um, and that's a really nice uh, community. But the key, I think the key thing here is that we are at a moment of uh, technological transition where we are going to replace the fundamental um, mechanisms of the late modern 
industrial economy, which we all grew up in, which if you think about is traditional chemical engineering, the generous energy provided by fossil fuels, um, the use of uh, electricity and then globalization driven by physically moving lots of heavy stuff around the world to a new set of structures that will sit on top of, replace uh, and sometimes complement those previous in infrastructures. And, and, you know, I think that we have found a, a simple word to describe what those technologies will be. And we call that deep tech. Um, but that is the, the, the moment that we find ourselves in. Um, and it is a moment um, that I think is very similar to the process that happened in um, in Western Europe between 1890 and the 1930s, when 1890, you were at the end of rapid urbanization. Um, people moved from their, their farms. Um, uh, I know that you're from Flanders, uh, 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 Robin, and there are many farms there, and they moved from their farms to, to cities. Uh, but by the 1890s, cities were dirty, congested places. By 1920s, because of electricity, uh, because of the car, because of um, uh, the use of the telephone, cities started to look a lot more like the ones that we've lived in for the past 100 years. And that's the kind of transition we're going through right now. Yeah. So you cover uh, quite a, a broad range of uh, sectors, of course. Yeah. Um, but if you look at uh, deep tech in particular, what, what excites you the most? Like, what, what do you think is the sort of the, the one to really look at? Is it AI? Is it quantum computing? Is it biotech? Uh, what excites you the most? Um, I think that, uh, you know, AI is really essential as a as an underlying um, enabling technology. It's a technology that helps us enable other technologies. Um, in that sense, the analogies with electricity, which help chemists and biologists and physicists alike, are very, very pertinent when it comes to thinking about AI. Um, but, but I then do get drawn to uh, the technologies that actually affect our um, materiality. You know, so as the, you know, it's well-known, I'm very, very well-known, everyone will know uh, this person um, and their work. Uh, but as Madonna said, um, you know, we, we live in a material world and um, we do live in a material world. We're sitting in a, in a room now, which has got, uh, you know, a wooden table on metal legs. There's a synthetic carpet um, there are whiteboard walls everything around us is 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 material and even when if it ever happens we move into the digital metaverse there will still be materiality uh, around it uh, and the kind of progress we've made in in the intangible world through computation um, is not progress we've made so far in the material world I'm looking at a concrete pillar you know, concrete and cement are technologies that go back in widespread use three or four thousand years and in first use about 10,000 years. I mean, the World Cement Association says the first concrete can be traced back to 12,000 BC. Uh, sorry, the first cement can be traced back to 12,000 BC. So technologies that help us tackle that materiality and the reality of it, which includes how do we how do we recycle things that we previously thought were, were unrecyclable, which I think will be the case, for example, with with um, EV, electric vehicle batteries, um, but also how do we find new pathways to create new materials that are less energy intensive, that are less um, 
resource intensive uh, and materials that that we can you know work with in in, in novel ways so that i think is a, a really really important space to to spend time on i know this has been a long answer but i just want to give one analogy which i think could be of interest which is that um by our greater ability to use compute and data we've been able to um start to produce physical tangible things that are of a complexity that we couldn't have previously in the form of vaccines on the mrna platform in the form of um, large molecule um, you know, genetically derived therapeutics like um, car-t therapies and some of these CRISPR therapies that use these material technologies of biology alongside the information technologies of, of, of AI. So I think that that area is absolutely um, key. It, it's, it's key not because we're going to stop taking things out of the ground. It's key because we need to be more effective at taking things out of the ground. And it's key because we can look at something like cement and say, with all of its environmental consequences, surely we can find a better way to hold up a building. Yeah, that was very interesting. I'm going to add to that because I just read a book uh, last summer, uh, coincidentally titled Material World. Ed Conway's uh, book. Yes, yeah. uh, I forgot the name of the author, so yeah, thank you yeah, so much. Yeah. Uh, economist and journalist at Sky News uh, wrote it. It's absolutely um, fascinating because I didn't know there was so much to learn about sand and how it relates to all modern technology. Yeah, so yeah. absolutely fascinating. Um, so thank you for that. The million dollar question. Uh, you look at these transformational technologies and the advancement in, in multiple sectors yeah. and markets. Does Europe play a role there? Do we have, because um, I know we have the talent, but do we have sort of the enough talent and capital and, and, and drive and policy um, to make a difference in the world? I, the answer is in your question, because you said it, it's the million dollar question. Whereas in Silicon Valley, they would have called it the trillion dollar <laughs> question. So I think <clears throat> the starting point has to be that um, we need to believe in the, the power of technology. Uh, and I don't think Europeans do. I think that large parts of America also doesn't. And you see this in some of the surveys um, that uh, there was a you know, recent, I think, it, I, I forget which PR company did it, but it was a large scale survey on attitudes towards AI. And if you surveyed people in, in Asia and in China, Singapore, um, uh, Japan, and so on, you were seeing 60 to 70% of people being optimistic about the potential of AI. And the figures are reversed in Western Europe and the US. And I think there are a lot, there's a lot of different cultural dynamics uh, that are at play um, in, in, uh, that, that affect our mentality. Certainly, we know the longstanding issue around risk-taking um, and the nature of, of, of the risk. And I think that's embedded in the, in the social contract, the promise that the state makes to its people, which is very different in the US than it is in most European countries, uh, although it may be different in uh, some of those that have just rediscovered democracy in the last 30 years. So I think that that's definitely um, a factor. I, I do also think that kind of culturally there is a factor of that, that Europe has been rich for quite a long time, uh, hundreds of years, relatively speaking, and actually quite a lot of that wealth um, 
didn't come from innovation. It came from, I mean, you're, you're, you're Flemish, but I know that your Brussels colleagues have got a, you know, sordid track record um, with respect to colonial exploitation. Um, and, and so I, I, I just wonder about whether Europe faces the hurdle of affluence, of having had affluence for a while, um, in a way that other parts of the world haven't. But I think all of that is actually surmountable because I think the things that are insurmountable are laws of physics. And these are not laws of physics. These are, um, I think, the kinds of things that we're starting to see, the t change in tone from leaders. So President Macron and his uh, several years ago talked about unicornification of France. I made up the word unicornification. <laughs> Um, and you, of course, see the Estonians, you see um, ecosystems emerge. So in um, in Amsterdam, because of, uh, I would say there'll be other companies, but Adyen, and I believe is Booking.com as well. Yeah, right. So you you've got these super successful companies that will be creating um, what we call mafia in the best sense of the word where people who kids who worked in those companies have made enough money, they get seeded from the, the founders of the previous ones and you build local ecosystems. You may see this happening in Romania because of UiPath and Daniel Dinner Dines. You will are certainly seeing it in Stockholm. You're definitely seeing it in, um, in Estonia and you see it in London. Now, that is all good and well, good and well, and things are definitely moving forward. I think the other part that's bit that's moving forward is the corporate, the company's willingness, large companies' willingness to spend money early, which was always a problem. When I was running my startup peer index, the problem that I faced of many when running a startup is that in London, where people knew me and they could come to our office, their willingness to spend on an alpha version of a product was about one-tenth of my flying over to New York or San Francisco and mm -hmm. getting a customer there to spend. But we're starting to see, especially as we move towards more industrial technologies, European companies being willing, building the capability to experiment a little bit more, which I think is really important for startups. And, and then I think you, you have to ask the question, which is, what would it take to create the trillion dollar company? Now, you know, we've got, we actually have a great example of a company that is that is well, two, a few companies that are doing super well in that field, and they are so un Facebook that um, it, 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 it's it's unbelievable. So the first is, of course, um, I, I'm flattering the low countries in this uh, discussion is ASML, mm -hmm. right? So you know what ASML will will prove is that you can by by lasering in, forgive me, on a single small market segment become unimpeachably the best in the world to the point at which it becomes uncompetable and then asml creates demands in its supply chain which is increasingly met by people in europe and people will leave asml um high on the on the, the little stock they have um to set up other companies and i think that that's a great example the other firm that's done extremely well um has been novo nordisk uh, and uh, Novo Nordisk makes um, GLP-1, GLP agonists. So these are technologies that are, are drugs um, that help us be less addictive to food in particular. Um, and uh, Novo Nordisk has done really, really 
well, again, with a material technology. Um, so I think that, that what that does is that creates a sense of belief of the scale because we've got lots of examples of the 100 million, 500 million, billion dollar, 10 billion dollar success and a couple at the higher end, the 100 billion dollar success. But to have these these breakthroughs in areas which are difficult technologies and you've got the unimpeachable leaders, um, I think makes creates a new sense of, of purpose and possibility uh, and and vision. There are still challenges. Sorry, long, uh, difficult questions. You get a long answer. <laughs> and one of the difficult challenges is that building companies in technology right now involves, um, you know, doing what explorers did in the 16th century, which is you're venturing into the part of the map where it says there be dragons and mistakes will make, may be made. Sail, ships will be lost. Sailors will die. Um, and that the mech this is not just a point about saying do Europeans acknowledge and accept and respond to failure as well it's also a recognition that in order to venture into the unknown which will require you to do things that are presently unknowable you as a boss need to have the flexibility and the freedom to surf that unknowability and and so that's where we have to start to ask questions about um you know whether there are there are sizes of companies or classes of companies that that should have lower regulatory burdens, in particular with respect to labour laws, um, uh, and you know there there is a vast swathe between the level of protection you might get in in the Netherlands and social social security costs or, or France um, to fire at will no non-competes of California, but you can move in, in, in one particular direction. And it's something that I struggle with in my small company where we have a handful of people who work for me and we have to go through the, the statutory obligation of providing a company pension with, mm. at one point, only two employees who were quite well paid. Yeah. And it was really expensive for us to do because it was my time. And, and so I think we need to start to also think about what does it actually take to allow people to, to to go through that voyage of discovery. I'm really pleased also finally on the funding front to see shifts in the UK, which is, the UK is not part of part of this, but can I talk about them? It's part of Europe. It's so still part of Europe. Okay, fine. <laughs> you know, shifts in, in how pension funds might be able to invest in, in riskier assets. Um, and, and I wouldn't understate the value of hard tech, government-backed co-funding uh, funds. I mean, I think, you know, the NATO Defence Fund, by Artemis, Athena, I forget its name. NATO Innovation Funding. Yeah, that's right, um, is, is a nice example there. So, so I, I think the picture is definitely, has a chance to shift. The important point is there's no law of physics that prevents it. Uh, but I do think that it, it, it is, you know, behind all these tactical things I've spoken about, um, there is something that is about culture and belief, belief in progress through technology that, that needs to be recaptured. Yeah. Thank you for a long, but very, very interesting. Sorry, sorry, That's sorry. all right. Yeah. No, very interesting. Um, points well made. I'm going to wrap up the discussion, but I'm going to leave you with a question. Yeah. Uh, 2023 was arguably the year of AI. Yeah. 24 will be the year of? More AI. Better, it will be better AI. More AI. I just, you know, the debates are not over. Um, uh, the 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 copyright 
uh, debate, the debate around safety, the debate about how it's going to impact democracy and elections. Um, and there will be technological innovations that we will see and we will see productization on of large language models. And I think that will deliver some really interesting services during this year. Asim, thank you so much thank for your you. time and best of luck with Exponential View and your talk later on. Thank you, Robin. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the EIC Scaling Club podcast. For more interesting insights on European deep tech, subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and our newsletter on eicscalingclub.eu. See you. Thank you.